0: This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are once again talking about all things emotions and embodiment. Now, I know we've spoken about this on the podcast before, and that is because it is such a crucial element to the weight loss journey. And not just weight loss, but living a joyful and fulfilled life regardless of where you are with your weight. Because here's the thing, most of us living in modern times, we are all caught up in the hamster wheel inside our brain. We are constantly worrying about our to-do list and running from point A to point B and shuffling children around and managing busy careers and family life and aging parents and all of the things. And we're worrying about mistakes we might make in the future. We're worried about mistakes we've made in the past. We're worried about the status of our relationships. We're worried about deadlines at work. There's always just one thing or another that has up has us up in our brain, worrying, strategizing and completely ignoring our bodies and when I say that I don't just mean not taking care of ourselves in terms of not moving our bodies regularly and not feeding it nutritious foods not giving it the rest that it needs but I mean neglecting it in the sense that we don't ever take the time to just sit and be with our bodies to quiet the mind down and listen to our intuition to the inner knowing to the wisdom that is inside our bodies and this is so important on the weight loss journey. Because as we've talked about many times before, we often turn to food because we don't want to feel the uncomfortable feelings associated with many of the human emotions, including loneliness, anger, frustration, sadness, grief, joy, all the things, right? And it's not until we are able to sit and experience these emotions and learn what they have to tell us that we can actually break free from that cycle of using food to anesthetize ourselves when we're feeling uncomfortable. Now here's the thing. We are all born with this innate ability to be in our bodies and we call that embodiment, meaning that we're able to sit and notice all of the sensations in the body and really start to understand what the message those sensations are trying to tell us and so on the podcast today I have a special guest with us Rhonda Farr is a mom of boys she's a former family counselor and she's a certified coach who specializes in emotion work she is passionate about using emotional work in her own life first and foremost as she navigates the challenges of having a human brain Her counseling days were spent with at-risk youth and their families as they were navigating addiction and recovery. But these days, she runs a one-to-one coaching practice of helping others use emotional awareness tools to heal, process, create, and learn valuable lessons from their own bodies. Emotions work lights her soul on fire and Rhonda is often found teaching, speaking, podcasting and learning about all things emotions. And so she's on the podcast with us today to teach us all that she's learned and to give us a few tools to get us out of our head and back into our bodies again. So without further ado, here is the interview with Rhonda Farr. All right, Rhonda, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having I, me.
0: I am so happy to have you here because one thing that I've learned being a weight loss coach is that nothing is more important than emotions on the weight loss journey. We have so many of them related to how we feel about our bodies and our relationship to food and all of the things. We've also got emotions relating to why we want to lose weight and all of the things that happen as we progress through our weight loss journey. And I think one thing that is common amongst all of us who struggle with weight is that we are terrible at feeling our emotions, identifying our emotions, expressing our emotions, and I think that's probably one of the largest reasons why we struggle with weight in the first place. And so I was so happy to have you come onto the podcast so we can have a little bit of a discussion about why it's so important to have a relationship with our emotions and to be able to explore them and process through them in a healthy way. And then also talk about some strategies of how we can actually do that, not just on our weight loss journey, but in our day-to-day lives as well. So I am so happy you're here. Thank you, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Rhonda, why emotions? How, How did you even get started working with emotions?
1: That is a very good question. So I started out helping couples who were struggling with intimacy, typically couples who come from very conservative backgrounds who were struggling with intimacy, mm-hmm. and I would get these couples on calls and we would start teaching all the coaching tools that I'm sure your audience is pretty familiar with. And every single time when we got to the deeper root, the causal root of what they were coming to me, be, coming to me for, it was an emotional wound, right? Like mm-hmm. the intimacy, their intimate life was an external byproduct of a deeper emotional wound. And if you really think about it, some of your audience might initially have a knee-jerk reaction to this that says, no, no way. Every single thing you're struggling with in you in your life is an emotional problem. And problem's not the right word. It's an emotional source. Mm-hmm. Every single thing. And I would love it if you wanted to challenge me on that or ask more questions about why that's true, but it is.
0: Yeah, I don't think I can challenge you because <laughs> the more that I do this work, the more that I see that it's it's actually true. And what I've noticed on my own journey is just this tremendous reluctance to even come face to face with those emotions that are kind of at the root of everything. And my knee jerk reaction is to say, well, no, it's not emotional. It's, you know, the other person or it's the circumstance or it's, you know, these things that have happened to me or, or, or whatever it is. But I I think deep down, I, I know, and I understand that there's this emotional root to it, but I think it's a journey. To get to the point where where you can um actually understand that, and I'm wondering though Rhonda, could you give some examples of what that looks like?
1: Yeah, totally so let me start with where I started coaching and then I'll move mm-hmm. over maybe into the body image and the food and the things that you're talking about more so that for me great. the I did an interview with this intimacy she's a therapist and she called it the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. And I love that. So she said, your intimacy is just the canary in the coal mine. It's mirroring what is really going on inside of you. So the other people are mirroring that. Now, if we want to bring this over into our relationship with food or our relationship with our own body, when we have an urge to eat something, when we have an urge to check out and avoid something, it's the canary in the coal mine. It's Mm -hmm. the mirror. If we can focus on what's going on there and not give in to the urge, your body, your physical body will start to bring up lots of emotions, lots of feelings. Those emotions are a tunnel, a portal, if you will, into something that is waiting to be healed. Your body is always trying to show you and manifest what it's ready to heal. Mm-hmm. So Canary in the coal mine of what's going on inside. I love that. And you know what? I I had a thought while you were saying that, can we talk
0: about what an emotion actually is? Because, uh, you know, oftentimes when I talk about emotions and I'll ask people like, what, what is an emotion? And I I get these blank faces and, or they'll just say, you know, it's, it's a feeling (laughs) like, but then what, you know, what's a feeling? So, you know, what exactly is an emotion Rhonda, when we're talking about, you know, all of this doing emotional work and feeling your feelings and and such like that, what, what do we
1: actually mean by
0: that?
1: I'm going to give you a few definitions and I'm going to let you and the audience decide what resonates with you. Okay. Love it. A lot of people will say emotions are literally energy in motion. So you're a physician, you know, this, like the reason we can read MRIs or x-rays or all the things right through mm-hmm. these images is because we're, we're reading energy, right? You're, you're looking on the screen, some type of screen energy. Mm -hmm. Your body is energy. When we have an emotion moving and vibrating in our body, it's that energy starting to shift and it's transmuting higher vibrations, lower vibrations, quick vibrations, slow vibrations. If you think about overwhelming anxiety, calm, peace, flow, right? Mm -hmm. Literally energy in motion. And if you'll pause... And not give in to every urge and whim around you. And I don't just mean with food. I mean with anything. Anything. Mm -hmm. Yes. You will feel your physical body experiencing transmutations of energy in motion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one way we can think about it. Another way I like to describe an emotion is simply just a physical sensation in your body that comes from having thoughts. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as that when I think I love my body, I feel this way. And by the way, we might think that's a really great thought, but somebody who has a really maladaptive relationship with their body and they try Mm -hmm. to say, I love my body, that could feel terrible to them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And it probably will feel terrible. So again, canary in the coal mine, right? For some people, it feels Mm -hmm. great. For some people, it feels terrible to think that thought. That's why it's always about you and your conditioning and what's in your brain, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, so,
1: and do you have more definitions or are those the two that you wanted to talk about? Well, I'd like to give you one more that I think yep. could be helpful. Okay. An emotion is simply the brain's connection to the body. And I, mm. I, you've probably heard disembodiment Absolutely. or separation, something like that. So what that means is somewhere along our lives, some of us learn that it's unsafe to feel energy in motion that it's unsafe to have a physical sensation in the body because of thoughts we're having this can come from capital T trauma like sexual assault or death or or even things that maybe seem a little more innocuous but as a small child if we saw or it was repetitive those capital T traumas can teach us like that's so unsafe. We never want to feel that again. And we literally can disassociate with our body. We learn to do it. And Mm -hmm. that's when we're operating in the head and we don't like to go below the neck, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it feels so terrible, Mm -hmm. right? So emotions can be that connection. When we want to re-embody the brain with the physical felt sensation below the neck, We tap into that vibration, that energy, that emotional sensation. So it's very similar to what I with like thoughts create this feeling in our body. Mm -hmm. But I would also say it's just your brain's way to communicate with you through the body, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense, it makes perfect sense. And I actually love this definition of emotion because I think it relates to what happens with many women when they struggle with their weight. And I think that disembodiment is at the root of a lot of it. And whether it's because of big T traumas or little T traumas, who knows? I I almost think it, it doesn't matter. The fact is we're at this point as adults where there is this separation between our mind or our brain and the rest of our body to the point where I have had women tell me that they don't know what they're feeling they can't label their emotions they can't distinguish between different emotions or they might understand that they're feeling bad versus they're feeling something positive but that's about as 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 far as they go and there's this instinct to want to intellectualize everything that's going on and this equal instinct to just suppress whatever is going on below the neck um in the body but i think When it comes to weight loss and Rhonda, I'm sure you would agree when it comes to sorting through any of the, the issues that we're trying to work through in life, bringing that body and mind back together is just an essential, essential component.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens is when we start to disassociate with the body, we lose so much valuable information. Mm -hmm. Your body, that's literally how we heal, right? Like we're saying we've got to stay disconnected so we don't feel that way. So it doesn't hurt, but it's so ironic because when we connect, when we're able to tap back into that and teach our body that it's safe, that we're okay, that we have skills and tools now, that's how we actually start to heal and Mm -hmm. not have to feel so much pain, right? Mm -hmm. Like both are motivated, very well intentioned but just one of them is more healing and more accepting of what is. And Mm -hmm. the other is a very scarcity. And I actually have some thoughts about how your clients who are so disassociated or disembodied could start that maybe we don't think of because we don't even have to talk about emotions with that. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you and I sitting here in this chair, looking at each other, we could say, what does it feel like to sit on this chair? Like the chair against my thighs and just, Focus. Like, what does our body physically feel like? hmm And you know what?
0: I think that is actually an excellent first step in this whole mm-hmm. process. And I often encourage people, to, you know, do things like get massages or go get a pedicure, you know, or things like this and just um, allow themselves to experience like the physical sensations of doing that, or even just dancing in your kitchen or, you know, moving your body in some way that feels good and just notice, you know, what's going on in your body as you're doing these things as as a first step. Because I think it's a big step for people who are completely disembodied who just are not present in their bodies at all to go from that space to this place where they're able to fully experience their emotions like that that just seems like a big a big leap i think for um for a lot of us and so i like this idea of starting with like just how does your legs feel against the chair right or you know how does it feel if, if someone is massaging your back or if you're dancing in the kitchen, um, I love that. I think that's, and that's crucial. I think that's part of, of healthy living actually, <laughs> you know, to just yes. do things every day that reconnect us to our bodies and, and to ourselves
1: and be aware. That's the other piece I'll add. And I, and you were saying this too, but just literally be aware when you're getting that massage, what does it feel like with pressure against my muscles? Or even as we sit here, what do my feet feel like where they meet my shoes or where they meet the floor? Like literally just starting to feel a physical sensation because what happens then is when you're angry or sad, you can say, how do I know I'm angry or sad? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could still be above the neck. Maybe my head feels like pressure. Maybe my shoulders feel really tense or maybe my heart just feels kind of heavy. Like when we're starting it is very good if you can name the emotion, but if you can't do that yet, don't start there. Start mm-hmm. with how do I even know that I'm having a feeling? Like I just don't feel well, that's all I know. Okay, well, how do you know? And just mm-hmm. start describing that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be big. You don't have to be a master at this right away. No, of
0: course not. Of course not. Yeah. And you, I don't think anybody can expect themselves to go from this place where you know they're not in touch with their bodies to all of a sudden, having labels for everything and being an expert um, in themselves. It's, 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 it's a process like, like everything else. Totally. I'm just wondering, Rhonda, are there any other consequences of being disembodied or having this, you know, disconnection between your
1: mind and your body? We don't have time for that on the call to tell you all of them, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, of course, when we're disembodied, obviously we're missing all the information and I'd love to give some Maybe one example of that, but also health-wise, right? (laughs) Like it is such, so when you're disembodied, what you're basically doing is resisting a part of your humanness. You're pushing away part of your experience. And when we're in resistance, what we know is we're creating a cocktail of hormones and stress hormones, and you could probably name those out way better than I can, right? Like cortisol, adrenaline, all Mm -hmm. the things, right? There are studies and there's research that shows. If we experience stress and we think it's fine and no big deal, it doesn't have a negative consequence Mm -hmm. on our body. But Mm -hmm. if we experience stress and we believe we should not be experiencing stress and we push that stress away, what happens is we flood our body with all these stress hormones, number one, but number two, we pile on more emotion. So I'm experiencing stress and now I'm going to add resistance onto that. Oh yeah. And then I'm going to judge myself because now I'm getting overwhelmed and I'm going to just add the overwhelm into the judgment. Oh yeah. And now I feel really guilty because I always do this and spin out of control. And Mm -hmm. now I'm just going to tell myself, you know, like I'm a big pile of poo because I'm eating everything to try and cope with all this. Right. Do you see what you've done? (laughs) Like there are so many physical health consequences that go far beyond the healing of your emotional body. Mm-hmm. Which I think is actually foundational, but even physical. yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: do you Do you think that there are cultural or societal things out there that encourage us to be more disembodied? I just feel like, and maybe that's because, you know, the medical profession is a very cerebral you know, place. So I'm surrounded by people who have to be in their heads for, you know, um, a, a large proportion of their day. But when I'm out there in the world, it just seems like most of us are walking around in a little bit of a fog. And I don't know if it's because we're caught up in the rat race, so to speak, or, or, you know, if there's, if there's other things going on, it just, it just seems from, you know, where I sit and look out at the world that, it seems to be more normal as in, you know, more common for us to be disembodied.
1: Yeah. Do you you have that observation as well? Totally. Well, when we're two years old and we skin our knee, our parents say, oh, you're fine. That doesn't hurt. Come on. Like basically (laughs) we don't have time for that or please don't cry because I feel sad when you're sad and I can't handle my own emotions around you feeling sad. From the day we're born, we're conditioned to feel okay, so we can accomplish, so we can fit in, Mm -hmm. so we can accommodate expectations from the Mm -hmm. day we're born. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then we live in this cultural societal norm where doing more, achieving more, getting more done is perceived as successful. It's Mm -hmm. perceived as strong, right? And then it becomes survival. Well, we want to be part of that group. Well, we want to be a valuable member of the herd, right? Like it becomes survival, instinctual, conditioned, like every angle we can look at this at, we are being told to not pause, feel, and really be conscious and aware with Mm -hmm. emotion hmm And you're, you're right. We're also told that
0: we shouldn't be expressing emotions, especially negative ones. Like, I can't tell you how many times growing up I had, you know, my dad tell me chin up, yes. <laughs> you know, chin up Michelle. Right. And you, it's, it's true. You just kind of learn that. Okay. Well, maybe it's not okay to, um, to feel this. And so down go those emotions, you know, some, somewhere wow. deep, deep inside, but I guess what, What worries me about all this is, yes, I mean, the health effects were we're very well aware. The science is clear on the effects of this on our body. But if this is what most of us know, if this is what is normal for most of us, how can we how do we even know that there's a whole different way to live? Right? Like, I mean, but before I discovered coaching and understood that I actually had emotions, I don't think that I would have ever realized that my life could have been so much more fulfilling.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think most of us don't. Mm -hmm. And many of the humans on this earth probably won't come to that awareness. And first of all, that's okay. And here's something that happens when we start to come to that awareness, We want others to come to that awareness Mm -hmm. and we say it's very loving because, oh, we want to be in true relationships with them and we want to see them be happy. But I even think we have to be careful with that because we're usually motivated to teach and help others so we can feel better also.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: I will say that. But here's the second thing. When you talked about your dad, it made me think about my parents, all the parents, right? Like that's just the way they're taught. Most of us are taught that way. And then we're just repeating. Mm-hmm. I want to offer this other effect of disembodiment, which is a relational detachment, right? Like when we can't tolerate our own emotions, then it's very, very difficult to be honest and have a true connection with another person. hmm and we when we can't tolerate how we feel when somebody else is honest when someone else has emotion then it's very very difficult to have a true honest connection Mm -hmm. ever so that's the other thing we're walking around in this these relationships that we think are quote happy right but that's because We have this mutual unspoken agreement that we're going to be happy on the terms of keeping each other happy and keeping ourselves happy, Mm -hmm. not in being authentic in who we are.
0: Right. So I think
1: that it comes, a lot of people come to this work because they can't do that anymore. Right. Because something is missing and they have all the success externally and they're still not happy. And they're like, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. That's where I get most of my clients from that space.
0: I think that's exactly why people come to me for weight loss coaching as well, because they've tried everything else for years and sometimes even decades. And they've just come to this realization that there's something missing. And that thing missing isn't, you know, some magical nutritional knowledge. It's not some, you know, magic pill or remarkable macro ratio that is going to solve everything. It's something going on inside that is inhibiting, inhibiting the weight loss. Right. And I think in almost every client that I've coached, this has exactly been the issue, just this tremendous, um, disconnect. And I find there's almost this yearning to, to get there. Um, and then it's hard So it is hard if you are, you know, a 40 something year old woman and have spent, you know, 40 some years being disconnected and not feeling your emotions and not allowing the vibrations to, you know, to transform through your body. It's a scary process and it's, it's difficult.
1: Yeah. Can I push that even further? Mm -hmm. Um, The way you said it was like, all this is going on and it makes it more difficult to remove the weight from our bodies. But I want to even offer, there are so many women out there, very large, beautiful women who have no desire to take the weight off of their bodies. And they are very happy and comfortable Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. And I think it even starts more deeply. Why do we think that happiness means that? And and we have different reasons like health and strength. I know know the size of our body isn't the thing, but yeah, and you know, even
0: in my weight loss programs, we um we're, we ban the talk of goal weight, right? I love that. our our goal is, you know, being in a body that you feel comfortable and energetic and healthy in, where you're metabolically healthy. and it uh, involves um a lifestyle that, you feel good about that, that you can easily enjoy for the rest of your life. And so many women have to really readjust kind of what, what that means. And I think, you know, that's a whole separate, um, separate conversation because of course there are, you know, cultural pressures for women um, to be thin. And so we have to separate, you know, why are you trying to lose weight? Is it, is it because of this or is there, you know, is, is there some other reason? And you you would be, you know, maybe, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but I was certainly surprised at first to learn just how difficult it was for women to even tell me why they wanted to lose weight, right? That it's somewhere along the line, they just got this idea. It was something that they had to do and hadn't ever spent time Um, you know, to sit down and think about it. And in in my programs, if women come to the conclusion that they're happy where they're at and the weight that they're at now, that's just as much of a win um, as the weight loss for sure.
1: A hundred percent. And I think most people are motivated to accomplish any goal, weight loss or whatever, because Mm -hmm. they think they'll feel better when, Exactly. Yeah. But what we know is, there are people who weigh exactly the same weight and some of them are exceedingly happy and some mm-hmm. of them are just miserable and feel terrible. We, we so see crazy. 100-pound women who have body dysmorphia who are very upset with how, quote, big they are, right? Mm-hmm. That's how we know this is inside of you and your urges, yes. your push for your weight loss or gain or whatever it is, is the canary in the coal mine. Exactly. It's, telling you that there's something inside of you that needs to be addressed and healed. And if mm-hmm. we can sit with our emotion long enough to figure that out, then we start healing at the root instead of like trying to put external band-aids on everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the reasons why, um, you know, we, we, we do two things that, um, in, in our programs here at ways of health that, are meant to encourage women towards this. And, um, you know, one is to take a look at what are you telling yourself that you'll, you'll do? Or what are you telling yourself that your life is going to look like when you lose the weight? And then how can we start doing those things right now? Right. And that often brings up lots of resistance and, you know, lots of excuses and the yeah, buts, you know, come out and that I think that gives us a, you know, a great opportunity to explore, um, you know, what some of those messages um, underneath are. And, you know, the other thing that we do that, you know, maybe a little bit controversial is we step on the scale every day. And we don't do it to record weight. I don't care, you know, about the number. It's more to you step on the scale and what happens? Like, what thoughts are in your mind? What is your body feeling? And what is that telling you? Like, what is that trying to teach you? And then when you're able to step on the scale and, and, not have those reactions anymore, then that's kind of a little bit of a sign that we've we've somehow managed to to take away the power of these these external things. So I, I think that those are are two ways that we try try to get at this.
1: I am reminded as you're talking of that Jim Carrey quote where he says, "I hope everybody has the chance to be really successful, rich and famous, like have all the money they ever wanted, so they can then know for sure that that's not the answer." Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying for your clients. We wish you would have the exact body that you choose so you then can know that that's not the answer. It's mm-hmm. still inside of you. Mm-hmm. So if we can pull this full circle back to emotions, When we don't answer the urge with food, or when we do step on the scale and feel how we feel, if we can sit with that and figure out what we're really craving, is it connection? Is it self-love it's almost always self-love and connection to self. There's your spoiler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, sure. But is it honesty? Is it alignment? Is it authenticity? When we really can sit with and not answer those urges that's where we get to learn what our body is really craving and give it Mm -hmm. life-giving fulfilling Mm -hmm. attention Mm -hmm. that has the potential to change everything
2: Hmm.
0: Right. And we have a lovely meditation inside our programs as well that you can just listen to when you're experiencing an urge to kind of walk you through this. Because a lot of women say it's actually very terrifying to allow an urge to be there, partly because we've never done it before. And we think that these large feelings are going to come and kill us, you know, really like that's that that's what it feels like sometimes and i think if if we're able to try this just once or twice to just sit with the physical sensations that come up when you're having an urge for food or for drink or for you know going on social media or you know what whatever it is that's trying to distract you from your body if you sit there it becomes a little bit less scary
1: yeah right? and i'd love to make a connection with that too exactly what you said is true and if we just build on that where we were with the trauma before or the disembodiment a lot of times what happens is the nervous system remembers why you disembodied in the first place right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so when we ask a client to sit with this meditation or sit with this urge their body literally feels like it's going back to those moments that it learned that it couldn't handle before and and it takes it full circle to the whole reason of disembodiment. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like that's an important distinction because we, I do believe and teach thoughts create feelings, Mm -hmm. but your body also memorizes how things feel, right? And sometimes a nervous system response connection memorized feeling comes back and your Mm -hmm. client be like, might be like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that since I was five years old, Mm -hmm. but they find themselves physically feeling exactly the same as they did. So mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. another important thing. I think, especially when we disembody, there's a reason we did that and our body remembers that. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. And it's, I think sometimes I hear women they'll tell me i had no trauma you know i had a good childhood you know my life has been fantastic i have no reason and i had an, a very interesting experience yesterday i experienced an rtt session as a client which is a a form of um, hypnotherapy and we were really talking about some issues that i'm having um in my business so i wasn't even i wasn't talking about my weight and you know through this session i um had had this memory of being young maybe about three years old and someone in my family had come home from a holiday and had given me this red and white knitted poncho and I put it on and I loved it and I, I clearly remember feeling so joyful and happy being in this poncho and spinning around like the little girl does right and all the adults in the room laughing Now, of course, right now my adult brain can say, you know what, how cute must that have been? Of course they would laugh. But at the time I felt made fun of, um, like that it was not okay for me to love this poncho or to even express joy. Right. And it wasn't until like after this session yesterday that I realized, oh my gosh, is like, is this why I buffer joy to eat because I couldn't figure out like why. Right. And it was just this silly little, you know, experience that I had when, when I was just a toddler. And, but, you know, when you're two or three years old, your brain, you know, can't use logic to, you know, explain why the adults are laughing. You just interpret as, you know, this was, this was threatening, you know, to me in some way. Right. And, and so I, I guess I say that because I don't think we we necessarily need to identify the stories that brought us to this place. The work is in the now and, you know, feeling what you're feeling now.
1: That is true. And, yeah. and I've done RTT myself and I, I'm like, oh yeah, all the stuff that comes up, you're like, whoa, I haven't thought about that for three decades. Right? I will say yeah. this when we're little, our brain is wide open, right? That subconscious mm-hmm. and we're taking Things that people say, things that we see on TV, our friends, like we're just accepting that religiously, culturally, personally, Mm -hmm. and we don't know that we're taking it on at that age. And oh, by the way, the adults in our lives, just like the ones you were talking about in this room with you in the red poncho, they don't know they're giving it to us. So it's crazy because we're haphazardly acquiring all of this stuff that is being locked into our identity, right? It's, and then our subconscious starts to close up a little bit more. We know through highly emotional situations that it can still be accessed and through repetition, it can be accessed. We know that, but it's closing up a lot. And then what happens is we live our adult life with that as our guide. Right. We didn't know we were taking it. They didn't know we were giving it. And oh, by the way, it becomes the direction of the rest of your life are you kidding me (laughs) like (laughs) that's why we have to sit with emotion because we have to figure out there's something else going on and it might have been adaptive at the time but it has now become maladaptive and i want to know that here Mm -hmm. in the now and present like you were saying yeah so i can address what's going on
0: yeah yeah i love it and is are there any other you know, things that we can do on the day to day that can help us with this. It's like I I have a mindfulness meditation practice that I do every day and I include a body scan as part of that. And I, I feel for myself anyway, that, that it's really been helpful for me to um, tune into my body easier when I am in the midst of, of, a difficult situation or, or an emotional situation. So I'm, I hope that you'll confirm that mindfulness practice helps with this. Um, but are there, are there other things, you know, beyond, you know, we talked about, you know, feeling your body when you're sitting in a chair and, you know, the massages and dances and, and things like this, but is there anything else that listeners can do to start, start this process in a gentle way?
1: I will give you two options and neither of these are the perfect fit for anybody. So I'm just going to say that for your listeners. Mm -hmm. If you try this and you're like, that totally didn't work for me. Fine. We've got to figure out what works for you. These are Mm -hmm. two suggestions though. Number one is so, so simple, complete silence. Mm -hmm. I love meditation. I do it too. I love the body scan. If that works, do it. It's beautiful. I use it with my clients all the time, but complete silence is really a telltale sign of what's mm-hmm. going on inside your body. Because I've got clients too, they can't do it. There has to be a TV on, there has to be music on, there has to be a podcast on. Yeah. What happens to your mind and body when you allow complete silence? And you can start with five minutes if this is hard for you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and be really aware, when I'm in complete silence, where do my thoughts go? When I'm in complete silence, what is the felt sensation in my body? Mm-hmm. And just start from there? So, oh, I can tell you it's restless for me.
0: That is for sure. <laughs> no, it's just interestingly, before we go on to your second your second suggestion there, I grew up in a household where the radio was on all the time. And I have a husband now who loves to have you know the TV or the radio on all the time and I can't, I can't even do it. So, you know, we, we have a schedule in our house now so that I can have, um, some silence, but you know, the irony of it is if I sit, um, in silence without distracting myself with my phone or, or other things, you know, I, I definitely get, um, very strong feelings of restlessness that, that come up. So that's what I've been working through, um, you know, personally to, to see what's there. And it's a challenge for me, to, um, sit with that restlessness, but I'm making progress there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would tell yeah. you to even challenge yourself more when you sit with restlessness, just start describing it and yeah. then welcome it and just say, welcome. You're welcome to be here. I literally talk in my mind to my body and the emotion yeah. and then just say, Hey, why are you restless? Could you tell me, Could yeah. you tell me what, what do you want me to know right now? You have my attention. There's no music or TV on. Yeah. So yeah, I'll do that. Challenge
0: it. I'll do that. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Here's the last suggestion. And this does not work for everybody. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. But sometimes when we are afraid, our body is afraid to feel discomfort, like restlessness or sadness or whatever. Sometimes we can feel happiness and excitement. So I will literally have my clients tell me what it feels like when they're excited about something. Mm -hmm. Or I will have them imagine what it's like to sit with a pet and rub their pet or maybe remember a moment with a child that they really love. And I'll say, just describe what your body feels like when you think about this moment. So it's still making a connection, mind and body, right? But it doesn't quite feel so scary. Mm -hmm. And what I would do when I started practicing this, I set an alarm to practice three minutes twice a day. You could do three minutes in the morning and be done with it at first, but just relax my body and think of a memory where I felt comfortable, where right. I felt safe, where yeah. I felt connected, and then describe that sensation in my body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would be helpful for sure. Mm-hmm. What we have to be careful with is some clients, when we they're asked to do this, they don't feel worthy to feel happy. And Mm -hmm. they don't feel worthy to feel a positive memory yeah so it can be frustrating even more like what i can't even feel happy and so i just want to tell your listeners if that happens to you you're okay there's nothing wrong with you your body just isn't comfortable feeling good anymore and and we can work with that right use some of the other techniques but but this does work for some people
0: like rhonda that's me Right. That's me. I, I can, you know, wallow in sadness for days on end and be okay with that. And being happy for five minutes is very, 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 very difficult for me. Um, I'm always just waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I can certainly pull up times where I felt comfortable or peaceful. Right. And I like that, I think that would, would, would work for me as well. Um, but I, I I think, That is actually an important point because we, especially when it comes to emotional eaters, there's just this assumption that we eat the negative emotions. And that is not true for all of us. There are a lot of us that struggle with, with feeling happy or, or good, um, because there's this under uh, underlying belief that we don't deserve it or, you know, some, something bad will happen and take it all away or, or, or whatever it is. So
1: I give you a a uh, quick insight. Sure. Even people who seemingly have it all together and who would even describe themselves as having it all together, have that feeling of the other shoe is going to drop the brain is hardwired to keep you in your safety comfort zone. And if we start to feel a lot more positive emotion, it's almost an automated response for all of us. Mine does it constantly that just says, oh, don't be too happy. Oh, you're going to get let down or starts creating these crazy, horrific circumstances. Well, this person might die or that person might this, like even extremes. And yeah. it used to freak me out. Like, this is a premonition. Something's going to happen. But now I just say, oh, I hear you. I hear you. You're like my thermostat and you don't want me to turn up the happiness too high. And like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> we're safe. And I'll just yeah. say to my brain, we're safe. We're okay. I know this feels uncomfortable, but we're safe. Right. Yeah. And, It's just what brains
0: do. I love that. And I think like you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times that you, you will actually talk to yourself. You will tell your brain that you feel safe. You'll, you'll ask your brain, what are you trying to tell me? Or you'll ask your body, right? And it may feel a little bit silly doing that if you're not used to it, but I think it's actually so important because part of what especially when you're asking yourself the questions is it opens up curiosity and it takes away some of the judgment so i think a lot of us you know if if we if we're feeling badly about something we judge ourselves for feeling that way or you know if we are feeling, you know, something like resentment or envy or something like this. And then we judge ourselves again, you know, for, for feeling that. And I think if you're able to, you know, just, you know, step back and allow those feelings to be there and ask, you know, what are you trying to teach me? What, you know, welcome it, it kind of, you can't really, you can't really judge yourself and be curious at the same time. So
1: yeah, you can't heal that, which you're judging and when we have a thought that creates discomfort in our body this is my personal opinion so i'm going to preface this with this is Rhonda farr's school of thought (laughs) i think we're all born worthy and valuable and as we go throughout our lives we develop self-talk and narratives that go against that Mm -hmm. and i think when you feel discord uncomfortable emotion in your body all it means is the way you're seeing yourself or talking to yourself is not in alignment with your true value and worth as a human on this earth when you feel icky it's just an indicator that your narratives aren't matching your value and (laughs) if you can just say oh where's this off or and and that's a little bit more advanced right because when we don't feel worthy and good like that's really hard to go there but i think the ultimate goal is to just see emotions as an indicator That something's Mm -hmm. out of alignment,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: just like a smoke alarm would be in your home. Like you just want to go toward it and check it out. Yeah. And tell you what it's indicating.
0: Yeah, I love it. And that's why we often use the metaphor of indicator lights on the dashboard of your car, right? It's like emotions are just that light blinking telling you to just, you know, pop the hood and and take a look at, at what's going on inside. And I love Rhonda Farr's school of thought that we are all born, you know, worthy and deserving and And that you know a a lot of the struggles that we have is because we've just simply forgotten that
1: i would venture to say i don't speak in absolutes a lot but i think all of the discord in our body comes because we've forgotten that true i call it divine potential you can call Mm -hmm. it what you will but just this true worth that can never be taken from Mm -hmm. and when we see ourselves with ill intent or when we judge ourselves or when we forget that worth, it's just saying, Hey, that's not who you were created to be. Your thoughts are not in alignment with the measure of your creation. Let's just check that.
0: Right. And I'm going to end this conversation by bringing up something I read in, um, a book called burnout by the Nagoski sisters. I love it. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, but in there, one of the sisters talking about, you know, doing an experiment where, um, every time she encountered another person out there in the world, living her life day to day, she would compliment that person, in her mind in some way to find, um, something beautiful rather than, than critical and to actually tell them in your mind, you know, you're beautiful. And it's, it's amazing how difficult it can be to actually do that for another person, but how even more difficult it is to do that for ourselves. But after I read this book, I actually engaged in that practice for a good month. And what happened naturally as I was, you know, training my mind to look for the beautiful in everyone, I couldn't help but see it in myself as well. And, and, and I, I think that it is absolutely true that each and every single one of us has intrinsic value on on this earth and if we can start to see it in each other it's it's a little bit easier to to see it in ourselves as well
1: beautiful i love it all
0: right rhonda do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we sign off today
1: i just want to say to your listeners Take anything from this interview that feels relevant and valuable to you. This, nothing we have said, nothing I have said should be used against yourself. Like we might try some of the techniques or we might say, I don't know how to sit with an urge yet." oh my goodness, she's saying we should be able to do that. And we can't, these are all things that we're learning at our own pace. And depending on where you're at, the smallest, tiniest new thought or the smallest, tiniest shift that could be exactly what you need. I will say four years ago, I wasn't even close to being ready to go all in like I am now, but being willing to take the tiniest step forward or see it with the tiniest amount of less judgment than I was before Mm -hmm. was the catalyst. It was letting the door open just slightly when I didn't even Mm -hmm. know if I could. And, and I would just offer that to your audience. Don't use this against yourself. Take, any tiny bit of this that resonates with you and just start small.
0: That is beautiful advice, Rhonda. Thank you. And if listeners want to learn more about you or work with you on their emotions, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, you can go to Rhonda I have a free course that's four, uh, it's four parts that they could, Partake of very easily. It's a, it'll pop up on my website. I also have um my calendar link on my website. So you can find me there. You could email me at coachwithronda at com. You could find me on Instagram and message me. I'm out there. You'll find me. Wonderful.
0: And I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes as well.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Michelle.
0: Thank you, Rhonda. <laughs> There you have it, the interview with the lovely Rhonda Farr. I hope you learned as much as I did interviewing Rhonda for this podcast episode. She is just so full of wisdom and clearly is so passionate about everything having to do with emotions. And I can't emphasize enough just how important a skill it is to learn how to listen to your emotions, experience them in the body, and really understand what they're trying to tell you to the weight loss journey. If this is something that you're struggling with, if this is something that you might need a little bit more help with, I have so many tools to help you with this inside our Nourish Yourself Body and Mind group coaching program. If you'd like to know more information about it, please reach out to me anytime. Um, Email is michelle at waysahealth.com and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at waysahealth as well. I hope to hear from you and we'll talk again next week.